Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Wolf, and you are listening to How to Be Like Jesus, the podcast that's about – yes, that's right. You'll, ne- you'll, you'll never guess. It's the podcast about how to be like Jesus. And in this episode, the very first episode of the podcast, of course, we're talking about a foundational uh, topic in Christian theology. We're talking about the gospel and what is the gospel according to Jesus. Because you see, there's lots of false gospels out there and, and people preaching things and telling you, oh, well, in order to have eternal life, in order to go to heaven when you die, you have to do this and that. And it's not the gospel that was actually preached by Jesus, as we will see today. They will tell you, well, you have to repent of your sins and submit to the lordship of Christ in order to be saved and do this consistently throughout your life. Or you're not really saved. You don't have real saving faith. People will tell you, no, you have to go back to the Old Testament law. You have to go back to the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith to go back to the Old Testament law and follow the letter of the law and everything from, you know, the kosher dietary laws and and, and the, all, all the all the all the different details of the law. You have to do that. Follow the the holidays and all these things because that's that's what the real Christian faith is about. And if you're not doing that, then you're you're not, you're not really going to be saved because you're not following the Hebrew roots of the faith. And there's just all these different ideas. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? And I'm not going into all these specific topics to refute them all one by one. So I'll, I'll probably go into these different things in later episodes. We're just going to look at what is the actual gospel that Jesus preached? What is it that you have to do? What is it you have to believe in order to be saved? Is it something complicated? Is it a lot of work? Is it something that you have to put in a lot of effort throughout your life in order to earn it? What What is it? And we're specifically going to look at the Gospel of John because of a very simple reason that the purpose of the Gospel of John is to tell us how to be saved. So for example, if we just look at the last verse in John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 31, well, uh, uh, let's look at the previous verse too to get some context. Um, John is talking about um, all the different signs and wonders of you know, the miracles Jesus performed throughout his ministry that John you know, records throughout his gospel. And we see in verse 30, John says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, then verse 31, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So notice the purpose of the gospel that John explains is the purpose is to get people to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Of course, Christ is just the from the Greek word meaning Messiah. All right, that's it's just the translation of the word Messiah in the Old Testament into Greek, and that word uh, uh, Messiah or Christ simply means anointed one. Okay, and so he's saying he wrote this so that people believe that Jesus is the anointed one, and then by believing in that. They might have life through his name. The whole purpose of this book is to explain to people what they have to do to get eternal life. And he clearly explains what they have to do is to believe in Jesus. Okay? That's what he's saying. Now, this is significant because this isn't the only – it's not just that this is the only gospel that has that as as its purpose, the, the purpose of telling people how to have eternal life, what they have to do to get eternal life. It is literally the only book in the Bible that is written – with that purpose, the purpose of this book is to tell people what they have to do to get eternal life. And John, you know, the author, clearly says here at the end of chapter 20 that you have to believe in 
Jesus in order to get eternal life. And we see, as we read that gospel, how this is clear throughout the gospel, and that Jesus himself is constantly telling you what you have to do to be saved, what you have to do to get eternal life, and it's simply believing in him. And so that is what you have to do to be to get saved. That is the real gospel according to Jesus. And so let's just kind of walk through a couple examples from the Gospel of John to show you how clear this is. If we go back to John chapter 1, so if we just look quickly at verse 12 in John chapter 1, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now I know we're not looking at the whole context here of, of the prologue to John's Gospel, what John wrote here in chapter 1, but so by all means read it in, in its context. But this verse that we're looking at here, it's clearly saying that people who have received Jesus become the Son of God. And what is it what does it mean to become sons of God? What does it mean to be to receive Jesus? He says to them that believe on his name. So it's believing in Jesus is how is is how he's explaining that people become sons of God. Basically, you become born again, the concept that comes up later on in this gospel. You're becoming a son of God, a child of God, by being born again. How? By believing in Jesus. That's how you are receiving him and begin, becoming born again, is just by believing in Jesus. That's what that verse is explaining. So then if we jump to chapter 3 in John's gospel, of course, we have the famous verse, uh, you know, verse 16, John 3.16, and we're going to look at that here momentarily, but I really like even more the two preceding verses, um, verses 14 and 15. But of course, to give the context here, you have um, Jesus goes at night to see Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, but the, the Pharisee Nicodemus, he wants to meet with Jesus because basically he's heard him preaching, and unlike most of the other Pharisees, he's basically more open-minded and intrigued and wants to know more about what Jesus is teaching, but of course because the Pharisees hate Jesus, he doesn't want them to know that he has his interest in Jesus, so he wants to meet up with Jesus in secret at night in order to meet with him privately so other people don't know that they are meeting together. And so th that's that's the context of, of this conversation here. And if we just look here at verse – starting at verse 14, Jesus is explaining to him how to be saved. It, it says – Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then, of course, right after that, we get the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, like I said, I think the two preceding verses, I, just personally speaking, I these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because Jesus is referring here back to a story that you may or may not be familiar with from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Numbers. And what's happening in this story that Jesus is referring to when he talks about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness is that the Israelites were rebelling against God. You know, this is when the, the, the 40 years after the Exodus before they get into the promised land. And they're wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And the Israelites are... Or, or if you just want to call them the Hebrews or whatever at this time, because you know technically they haven't founded the nation of Israel yet, whatever you want to call them. Um, they're constantly not wanting to cooperate. They're rebelling against God. You know, They don't want to eat the manna, and they, they want to go back to Egypt at different points. They just have this bad attitude. And so it's one of those times where that's happening. 
And so God is angry and decides to punish them by sending down these serpents that are biting people and they're poisonous and people are actually dying from being bit by these snakes that God sent, literally sent down from heaven to punish them with. And so the people are obviously <laughs> upset about this. They're crying out to Moses to, to help them, even though, you know, they're also always blaming Moses for the conditions that they're in. But, you know, when, when in, then when they're in trouble, they need Moses to help them, of course. And so Moses fulfilling part of his role as a type of Christ, which we're not going to get into a lot of detail about here right now, but obviously we'll talk about this later, of Moses as a type of Christ who's interceding for God's people in between, you know, the people and God the Father. And so Moses, of course, go, you know, was praying to God, interceding on behalf of God's people and asking God, you know, to <laughs> stop what he's doing. And God's way of dealing – now, God could obviously – he could have just went, oh, okay – you know, they get the point now. I'll relent. I'll just stop, you know, I'll bring, I'll stop, stop having these poisonous serpents bite people. You know, he could have, he could have done anything. He could have just stopped it. He could have healed people himself. You know, he, he, think about it. He's God. He could have done anything in this situation in response to what Moses is requesting of him. But he does this specific thing that I'm sure seemed very strange to the people at this time and to people throughout the old living throughout the old covenant before Jesus came and they didn't understand what this was symbolic of, what this represented, how this actually is in a way kind of a prophecy of what Jesus would come to do. So um, he has Moses ha take a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole and lift it up. So this bronze serpent on this big pole is being held up high by Moses. So basically everyone can see it. And so that when they look at that bronze serpent on the pole, that God would heal them. Now think about that. What when the world is going on? Why doesn't God just stop having these poisonous serpents bite them? Why doesn't God just heal everyone? You know, what what is with this weird process of having Moses put this bronze serpent on a pole and lift it up and you have to look at that serpent on the pole to not be healed? And think about, well, I mean, obviously isn't everyone going to do it? Like what kind of person wouldn't just turn their heads and look at the serpent on the pole in order to be healed? And just like what is going on? Why do they have people do this? I can see this being very confusing to people living before the time of Christ and before he came and died for everyone's sins because how are they supposed to know what this is symbolic of? And then if you recall, if you're familiar with this stuff, a little bit later on, uh, they end up actually worshiping a serpent on a pole. So they take this thing that is a symbol of Christ and they pervert it and turn it into an idol and start worshiping that instead of worshiping God that gave that to them. And so that's something that happens later. But notice Jesus, the point Jesus is making, he, he is, he, first of all, he expects Nicodemus, obviously as a Pharisee, to be familiar with this story that Nicodemus would, shouldn't need this explained to him. And Jesus is pointing back to the story and is explaining here very briefly in these verses how this is a type of Christ, meaning how this is a story that's symbolic or representative of Jesus and what he came to do. And so let's look at these verses again. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What's his point? Just like the serpent being on this pole and being lifted up into the air, that is symbolic of Jesus Christ being lifted up into the air on the cross and dying for everyone's sins. And just like people had to look at that serpent in this in this story in Numbers, they had to look at that serpent to be saved. You have to look to Jesus in faith 
Look to him dying for your sins, looking to that atonement through the eyes of faith. You're believing, you're trusting in what Jesus has done for you by dying for your sins and rising from the dead. You're trusting in that to save you. You're trusting in Jesus to save you, what he has done as being the work that God has done to obtain your salvation. You're looking to that. You're looking at him on the cross through the eyes of faith, and that is your belief, okay? And that is how you will end up not perishing, but instead having eternal life. That's what Jesus is explaining. And of course, he goes in the next verse to explain that this is God showing his love for the world by giving his son to go die for everyone's sins so that those who believe in him don't perish but have eternal life, okay? So that's what he's explaining, and he's pointing back to this Old Testament story to, to illustrate this. And so notice that the point Jesus is making is that all you have to do is have faith. All you have to do is believe in him. There's no other conditions attached to this about doing good works or you know anything about repenting from your sinful lifestyle or getting baptized or joining any specific church or obeying the Old Testament law or being circumcised or anything. Nothing. There's no other conditions to this. The only condition is believing in Jesus, and you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Okay, that's what Jesus says. And notice from this story that he points back to, notice how easy it is in that illustration from the Old Testament. Because those people, you're dying, you're like writhing on the ground in pain, dying from a poisonous snake bite. And what do you do to live? You literally just turn your head and look at a thing. Moses is holding up a pole with a bronze serpent on the end of it. And literally, all you have to do is look at it. I ask you, how hard is it to look at a thing? That's not hard. That's easy. Anyone can do that. It would be the most just stubborn, prideful person who would go, oh, that's what's going to save me? No, I'd rather just lay here and die. I'm just going to refuse to look at it. But it's not because it's too hard for him to do. It's because he just is refusing to do it. And that is... That is what divides people. It's not that it's hard for people to get saved. It's just that they just won't do it. Getting saved is easy. Looking to Christ in faith is easy. It's just like looking at a serpent or a pole. That's easy. It's not hard to just look at a thing. Someone's holding it up. You just look at it. Looking to Jesus Christ and what he has done, what he, the work that he has done for us by atoning for our sins, and we are just trusting that that is enough to save us. That's easy. Anyone can do that. The only reason people... Don't get saved is because they don't want to. Because it's not hard to be saved. And Jesus is making that very clear. John is making that very clear in his gospel. This is a very, very explicit example about how easy it is to get saved and how all you have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ. And if we look at the end of this uh, chapter, verse um, 36, this is just John himself writing. And again, John explains how easy it is uh, to be saved, and that it's just through faith. Uh, John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So again, just to be clear, that's not Jesus talking, that's John, that's the Apostle John writing this, okay? But just to show how John is explaining this, that whoever believes in Jesus has, and notice, again, when, the way Jesus explains this in, in Verses 15 and 16 of John chapter 3, and the way John explains this in verse 36, is you have everlasting life. That's present tense. You currently possess everlasting life through what? Through your faith. So you have faith in Jesus. You don't have to wait and see, oh, hopefully when I die, I'll go to heaven. I'll just wait and see. No, you know right now. You currently, right now, present tense, have everlasting life. That is what Jesus said. 
That is what John said. And again, clearly the only condition here is faith. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The only thing separating you from having eternal life and not seeing life, but instead having the wrath of God abide on you in this life, there's one condition. There's one thing that, separ that separates these two groups of people, and it is believing in Jesus or not believing in Jesus. Th that's, that's it. You, if you believe in Jesus, you have life. If you have not believed in Jesus, you don't, but you have something else, the wrath of God. Okay? So now if we go into the next chapter of John, we have the famous encounter of Jesus talking to the woman at the well. I'm not going to, like, read through and try to explain the whole thing but okay jesus is is he's in he's he's in samaria and the disciples leave to go get food jesus is hanging out at this well it happens to be the well that jacob uh, established back in the book of genesis and while jesus is there this woman the samarian woman comes up and and uh, jesus has a conversation with her try to give some of the historical you know back background to this for people who don't already know this stuff about how the Samaritans are antagonistic towards the, the Israelites, the Jews, whatever. And I mean, I guess technically they're both kind of Israelites, but the Samaritans intermingled with the, the, the Gentiles are not pure. And so the, the Jews here of, you know, the, the period of the, of the New Testament here, uh, you know, second temple Judaism, whatever, uh, is they discriminate against the uh, Samaritans. And see them as like, well, they're not real Jews because they intermingle with the Gentiles, whatever. And so the Samaritans, they don't worship at the temple in uh, Jerusalem like the other Jews. And so there's this, there's this antagonism, and that's, this comes through in um, their, their conversation here at the well. And it's also uh, apparently taboo for Jesus, who's a, a man, of course, to be talking to this this woman and trying to get you know water from her and whatever. And so... Um, those are the kind of countercultural, whatever kind of dynamics here in this discussion that Jesus, who's a Jewish man, is talking to the Samaritan woman at, at the well, which is why when the disciples get back and see him talking to her, they react in a negative way. Okay, so you kind of get the background to that. And um, so she comes up and starts talking, and we just, um, um, well, let's 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 start early in the conversation. Uh, John chapter four and verse seven. It says, "There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink." For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat, like yeah, you know, like I explained there. And verse nine it says, "Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask this drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans." Okay, like I explained. Verse ten, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So, as we're going to see here, Jesus is—he's speaking metaphorically or symbolically, figuratively, whatever you want to call it. He is not talking about literal water. Verse eleven: The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? And art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Okay, these are the verses I want you to focus on. Verse 13 to 14. Let's read verse 13 again. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And of course the conversation goes on from there. Like I said, I want to focus on those verses because 
again, Jesus is not, when he's talking about water, he's not talking about literal, you know, H2O. He's talking about having the free gift of eternal life, and he's just using the water as like a metaphor for that. And notice that he's contrasting, he's comparing and contrasting here um, the eternal life that you get as a free gift from God through your faith in him and comparing that to drinking just normal water, okay? And his point is that these people, you know, in this time, you know, obviously they don't have running water, they don't have faucets in their houses. They're going out to this well in the town. Everyone's going out with buckets, putting them down in the well, bringing them out, carrying these heavy buckets full of water back to their houses to use their water, okay? That's how they get water. And this is hard work that these people have to do every day in order to get water. Obviously, everybody needs water, so everybody's constantly doing this every day in order to get water, and it's hard physical labor for them to do. And so Jesus is making the point that you have to do this every day. You're thirsty. You need to drink. You have to come out here day after day, every day, and do this work in order to get this water or in order to drink. And obviously, you have to do that because you need water. And he's contrasting that with the water of life that he's offering and saying, as he explains in verse 14, whosoever drinketh of that water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up in everlasting life. So notice the, the comparison here. You are thirsty every day, and every day you have to do hard work in order to get water to drink because you're thirsty. If you believe in him, this one-time act of faith, he gives you eternal life, which he is calling here living water. And what happens? That water is a spring of water inside of you, okay? So you don't have to go get water every day. You have this spring of water inside of you, meaning you don't have to go get eternal life ever again. That eternal life is inside of you. I'm not sure if that's necessarily supposed to be specifically a reference to the Holy Spirit or or just or, or what, because I know Paul talks about the Holy Spirit being, you know, like uh, an earnest payment, like a down payment for that, that God gives us because, you know, we become spiritually born again, but then he's going to come back to redeem our bodies at the resurrection and we have the Holy Spirit in us as like an earnest payment or a down payment guaranteeing that God will come again later to redeem our bodies. So I don't know if that is specifically what Jesus has in mind here when he's explaining this or what, but the point is, unlike this water where you're drinking every day, and you have to do hard work in order to get it and drink it every day. Jesus is explaining, one time act of faith, you have eternal life forever. You never have, you will never thirst again. You never have to drink again. Of course, drinking means believing. Okay, so I'm, I'm hoping that made sense. Really, if, if this is new information for you, if you haven't really thought about this passage before, speaking of water, I need to drink some water, um, then I want you to stop, look at this passage, think about it. Because this is very important stuff. Because Jesus is explaining, using water as a metaphor, saying, I don't want to just keep repeating myself, but I want people to understand this. That he is, Because a lot of people think you have, if you commit certain kinds of bad sins, or if you fall away from the faith, you have to come back from the faith. You commit certain kinds of bad sins, you have to confess your sins and repent of these sins. Blah, blah, blah. You have to, there's always these things, these other conditions of, well... Yeah, you believed and got saved, but then if you do these other things and mess up, well, then you have to basically repent and come back to living out your faith in the appropriate ways. Otherwise, you're not really saved. Well, that would be the same as going back to the well again and having to do the hard work 
of drawing water from that well again. Jesus said, you don't have to do that. That one-time act of drinking his water, meaning believing in him for eternal life, that's it. You're done. You never have to go back to the well again because he says you will never thirst again. You have that water as a spring inside you, meaning you have eternal life inside you. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. You never have to worry about getting the water of life again. You never have to worry about getting eternal life from Jesus Christ again because you will never thirst again after drinking the water of life one time, meaning after believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life one time. That's it. You never have to do anything else again because that's what it means when he says you will never thirst again. So this passage, if understood properly, is clearly teaching not just how faith is easy. It's just being saved is easy. It's just an act of faith. It's not hard work because he's specifically contrasting it with a woman doing hard work in, in order to get water. And he's contrasting faith with that, saying this is this is not hard work. It's just drinking water. Again, think about drinking water. Is that hard to do? That's not hard to do. He's comparing it to drinking water. And he's making the point that whereas these people are drawing water every day in order to stay quenched, in order to live, he's saying you believe in him one time and he's saying you will never thirst again. That means you will never need to worry about your eternal life. Again, you will never have to you will always have eternal life. Just, just I need people to understand. This is what Jesus is articulating. That's the whole. How can you if 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 you could lose your salvation at some point in your Christian life here on earth? You believe in Jesus Christ, you get eternal life, and at some point in the future, whatever the reason supposedly is that people will give. Oh, you did this. Well, that means you lost your salvation. Whatever it is, that is. That doesn't make any sense with what Jesus said. He said that you drink his water of life that he gives you, meaning you have faith in him for eternal life. He says you will never thirst again. You will never have to go back to the well again to get water again. You will never thirst again. That doesn't make any sense if you could lose your salvation and then have to do something else to get your salvation back in order to get eternal life back. Jesus here said you will never have to drink again because you have that eternal life inside you. It becomes a well of water springing up inside you, you will never thirst again. You will never have to drink the water of life again because you have it inside of you. It is promised to you. You will never thirst again, Jesus says. And so if you just believe in him for eternal life, your eternal destiny is set, is established. It, it cannot be undone because if that is the case, that means you can thirst again, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus just got done explaining in this passage. So again, I realize a lot of people believe contrary to what I'm explaining. And you are immediately thinking of, oh, what about this passage and what about whatever? Just uh, – we're not obviously going to be able to get to every <laughs> possible like problem text to what I'm saying right now. Just stop and reread this passage over and over again and really look at these verses and think about what I'm saying. Think about what Jesus is saying and the implications of that for what the gospel actually is and the, what your security and your assurance of, of your salvation you know, th think about the implications of that from what Jesus said. That's just, that's what I want people to do. And that's why I'm just really laboring on this point of what Jesus says here in these verses. And I know a lot of people will then go on to act like, no, Jesus is teaching. You have to repent of your sins because he's basically telling the Samaritan woman to repent of her sins of living with another man and, and, and how she's been married and divorced a bunch of times. I'm not going to really go into the details of that right now. I'm just going to say, read the rest of the passage carefully. He... Never, he's talking to her about these things, and he's using this 
as a way to show her that he's the Messiah, basically by the fact that he knows these things, which there's no way that he should be able to know them. But that's the point of him bringing these things up and talking to her about that, is he's, I mean, he basically freaks her out, right? He freaks her out because it's like, well, how do you know that you should know these things? And read it carefully. That's why he brings it up, because he's showing her that he's the Messiah by telling her about these things that there's no way that he should know about because they're strangers. And that is the reason. At no point in this chapter, at no point in this conversation with the Samaritan woman, does he ever tell her, you need to get out of that relationship, or he, he never condemns her for her sins of that. He never tells her to repent of that in order to be saved. He never says any of those things. People who believe you have to repent of a sinful lifestyle in order to be saved read that into that chapter. They read that into that part of their conversation, but that's not there. And of course, how would that make any sense? That would completely contradict the earlier verses we just read about how uh, salvation is easy. It's just through faith, and that once you uh, once you drink of the water of life, you'll never thirst again, and so on. Like that would contradict everything he had just been saying. So that doesn't make any sense. Okay, so I just want to kind of briefly give my uh, understanding of that. Okay, so I just want to quickly talk about two more passages, and then we'll we'll conclude. Um, John five twenty four. This is a great great verse talking about how easy. It is to be saved, how simple the gospel it is, and how you cannot lose your salvation. And this is, if I were to just point to a single verse to try to explain this concept to someone, it would probably be this verse here for the reason I'm about to explain. So John 5, 24, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Okay, so the reason this verse is so significant, and this is like the number one verse, I think, for explaining this to people, is because grammatically speaking, it covers all the tenses, okay? Past tense, present tense, future tense, it's all covered in this verse. Jesus is saying, all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is have faith, okay? Once again, that's the one condition. That's what we see over and over again in the Gospel of John. I encourage you, after listening to this, just take the time to just read the Gospel of John and see how over and over again the Gospel is explained. It's simple. It's easy. It doesn't involve works. It doesn't involve turning from a sinful lifestyle, being baptized, anything like that. And the only condition given is faith, and that he usually explains in the context how he gives some example implying how you can't lose your salvation from that, as we just saw in John chapter 4, for example. But, and, and we see that here in this verse. So he says, he explains it, it's just by faith, it's just by belief. He says that a person who has faith, he says, hath everlasting life. Okay, that's present tense. Right now, you've had faith in Jesus, you're just trusting in him for your salvation. Well, right now, you have. Right now, present tense, you have everlasting life. The next thing, and shall not come into condemnation. That's future tense. Just by faith, hey, how do I know I'm not going to go to hell? How do I know I'm not going to be judged by God and sentenced to hell once I'm resurrected? How do I know I won't come into condemnation? Well, by my faith, because Jesus clearly says right here, the only condition he gives is faith. And he clearly says that you can know right now you have eternal life, so you have that right now. And you can know that you shall not come into condemnation. You don't have to spend your life worrying and being anxious and go, oh, man, did I live my life good enough that – was I a good enough person? Was I a good enough Christian that I can be confident that when I die, I'll go to heaven when I die? No, it's not about that. It's not about you being good enough for God. It's that Jesus already 
Jesus is good enough, and he already did what we all fail to do. We're just trusting in him. And so you don't need to worry about, will I be able to get to heaven? Is, basically, is this something that I won't be able to find out until I die where I'm going? No, you can know right now. Because Jesus says, just by faith, you have right now everlasting life. And he says, you can know the future. You know that you shall not come into condemnation. Okay, so present tense, future tense. And then the last part, but is passed from death unto life. More like modern English way of putting that would be has passed from death into life. So that's past tense. You have already, Jesus is telling you, you have already in a spiritual sense, just by having faith in him, you have already passed from a state of death to a state of life. Again, spiritually speaking. So all the tenses are covered. Present tense right now, I have everlasting life. Future tense, I know I shall not come into condemnation. I will not be judged and condemned and sentenced to hell. And past tense, just by my act of Faith in Jesus, I, I've already passed from death into life. I'm not I'm not in a state of spiritual death from God anymore, but a, spirit, a spiritual state of of death uh, as a result of my sins and, and so on. This is why John the Apostle, as we saw earlier in John 3.36, was able to say that, you know, if, if you have faith you, right now, you have eternal life, and but those who don't have faith don't have life. And what does it say about them? He says, but the wrath of God abides on them. The wrath of God abides on them because they're still in that state of spiritual death. The wrath of God does not abide on us who have had faith and have eternal life right now because, as Jesus explains here in John 5, 24, people who have done that have already passed from that state of death into a state of life. And so it's all covered. How – I want to ask if you think you have to do other things to try to keep your salvation or that – Oh, but what if I do this? What if I do that? that? That means I could lose my salvation, right? How is that possible? If he's saying, just by your act of faith, you know you have everlasting life. You know you shall not come into condemnation because you've already passed out of death into life. If you could lose your salvation for any reason, how could Jesus say these things? How could he say that you already know that you won't come into condemnation and that you have already passed out of death into life if it's possible for, for you to come into condemnation and if it's possible for you to be into a state of spiritual death again. That doesn't make any sense. That that cannot make sense of this verse. This verse clearly implies not only how simple salvation is and how easy it is to be saved because it just has that one condition of believing in Jesus. It clearly excludes any possibility of losing your salvation. Uh, the, this Everything about this verse implies that your salvation is secure by that act of faith. So in our last example... Uh, I want to look at John chapter 11. And in the context here, this is after Lazarus had died. Of course, Lazarus was Jesus' friend. And so Lazarus had died, and he'd been, you know, he'd been dead for several days. And, of course, we all know the famous story where then Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. But before that happens, Jesus has this conversation with uh, Martha, the sister of Lazarus. And this is a very interesting, telling conversation giving us insight, once again, into the nature of the gospel. And so I'm going to start here in verse 23, John 11, 23. It says, um, Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And obviously he's talking about how he's, what he's about to do of raising Lazarus from the dead right then and there. Obviously Martha has no idea that's coming. So in verse 24 it says, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, so she's just talking about eschatology of her belief. That you know, there's going to be a resurrection at, at the last day, at the end of history, or whatever. When she believes, you know, of, you know, the, the belief about the Messiah coming and doing this, 
And um, so that's what she thinks Jesus is talking about. Verse 25, and this is this is uh, the part to pay attention to here. It said, Jesus uh, said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And of course, we're going to talk about what he just said there and what that means. But notice the next verse, it's, it says, She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And so she expresses here her belief in Jesus being the Messiah. And so what does it mean then for her to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, I think that is basically explained here in the context of the previous two verses here, verses 25 and 26, where Jesus says to her, and now let's talk about what this stuff means, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So Jesus is explaining he's the resurrection. He is the life. So when the Bible is talking about these things, again, like I said, everything in the Bible is about Jesus. When the Bible is talking about resurrection, when the Bible is talking about life and having eternal life, this is all in Jesus. This is all because of Jesus. And Jesus here is speaking about this as if this literally is him. And of course, this is metaphorical because people are resurrected to life because of him. And as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, that the resurrection the believers will experience when Christ comes back, the, the Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of that. Okay, so Jesus is applying this to himself, saying that he is the resurrection and the life. So, she, so and of course, he's explaining this because Martha just got done saying that, oh, yeah, I believe that um, you know, Lazarus will be raised at the resurrection in the last day. And he's explaining that this is all about him. Yeah, there's going to be a resurrection in the last day, and that's because of him, because he is the resurrection. And people are going to have life, but that's because he is the life. So, again, he's tying everything to himself. And he explains then, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So obviously there he's talking about physical death, people dying physical deaths. He's saying, hey, if you've believed in me before you physically died, you'll be resurrected. You will live physically again. Okay, that's what he's explaining. So people being raised in the, the resurrection, like if you, again, if you read First Corinthians, First Corinthians 15, so also talking about First Thessalonians 4 about Christ coming back and raising those who are his, okay, it's talking about him specifically raising believers, saved people, those who are his. To be raised in that resurrection, um, you you have to have believed in him before you died, okay? That's what Jesus is explaining here in verse 25. And then in verse 26, it's very interesting. It says, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asks her if she, if she believes this. Now, that's interesting because obviously someone who is living and believing in Jesus, just by believing in Jesus doesn't mean, oh, I'm just never going to die now. I'm, I have now already immortal in the sense of physically, bodily being alive. I will never die because I believe in Jesus. So now I'm just going to continue to live forever. Uh, you know, we have these people walking around that are like almost 2,000 or like 2,000 years old because, you know, they believed in Jesus back in his earthly ministry. Obviously, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying you will literally bodily continue to live forever if you believe in me. He's explaining that if you if if you live and believe in him you will never die in the sense of your eternal life is guaranteed to you and there's a sense in which you know i believe that there's a spiritual sense that is applied whereas even when you die you will continue to live spiritually even though your body is dead and i do think that's something that is implied by this people 
there's an argument Christians can have about what is the nature of the soul and what happens after someone dies before they're resurrected. I don't want to get into all of that debate right now. I do think that's probably implied by what he's saying here that that um even once you if you're a believer once you physically die you continue to live in a in a spiritual sense after the death of your body. But I think even more importantly here is that if you believe in Jesus while you're alive you know that you will never die, I meaning you will never be denied eternal life. That resurrection of life that we talked about and being raised by Jesus when he comes back and having eternal life, that will never be denied to you. He clearly says, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And again, how if, if you believe you can lose your salvation for any reason, how could that possibly be true for Jesus to say, hey, while you're alive, if you believe in me, you'll never die. He couldn't say that because you could believe in him and then still end up dying, meaning still end up going to hell, being spiritually dead, if, if that's possible to happen, that Jesus cannot say, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That statement would be a lie if you could lose your salvation for any reason, because you can live and believe in him and still die. But he says, whosoever, so anyone, this applies to absolutely anyone that believes in him, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. The only condition for not dying the only condition for having eternal life guaranteed to you, no strings attached, no other conditions need to be met. The only, the one and only condition to receive that is believing in Jesus. That's it. And that's what it means to believe in him as a Messiah. So when John is saying at the end of chapter 20 that we started this episode you know, that I read and talked about, where he's saying, well, I'm writing this to explain to you how to believe or to believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing you have life in his name. Well, what does it mean to believe in him as the Christ? It's you're believing him for eternal life because Jesus just explained this about how if you if you believe in me, even if you're dead, you will live. And if you are alive and believe in me, you shall never die. And he asked Martha, do you believe this? And she says, and as we read, she says, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So that's what it means to believe in him as the Christ. Is you're trusting in him, you believe in him for the free gift of eternal life. And you know now that you will never die because that is what he said. And you're trusting in this promise that Jesus has made to you. Okay, so I could give even more verses from the Gospel of John. I mean, I could basically just go through the whole Gospel of John verse by verse and expound upon this and explain this every time it comes up. I mean, I could just sit here all day and talk about this stuff. But I've already been going on about this for over 40 minutes now, so that's enough. I think you get the point. Hopefully, I've been able to make uh, my point uh, with these with these passages. Um, now, I realize that almost everyone, maybe literally everyone, who listens to this strongly disagrees with me and disagrees with pretty much everything I've said in this episode because most professing Christians believe that a person can either lose their salvation or that they have to keep other conditions, conditions other than just a simple faith in Jesus for eternal life, in order to have a real saving faith. And if they don't do X, Y, and Z, that are other things other than just believing in Jesus, then that proves that they didn't have a real saving faith and were never actually saved in the first place. And they largely get that idea from a very gross misinterpretation of James chapter 2, which of course we're not talking about here today, but obviously I'm aware of where these ideas come from. I'm aware of the kinds of proof texts you will go to to support your 
views that disagree with mine. I'm, I'm not ignorant about these things. I'm very aware of this, okay? And so what I would just ask you to do, if you've actually listened to all, all this while strongly disagreeing with everything I've said, is, first of all, just go back to the beginning of the Gospel, just, Gospel of John. Just read the whole Gospel of John, but do so, I implore you, please, to actually do so with an open mind to the possibility that maybe you're wrong and maybe I'm right. It's possible. Just read it with the open mind and look for the possibility of God saying, that of this gospel communicating to you the idea that all you have to do, the only condition for eternal life, is just a simple faith in Jesus. Trusting in him for that free gift of eternal life, that's the only condition. And once you've done so, you're sealed. You're, you know, your fate is sealed. You know you have eternal life. You you know you won't go into condemnation. You'll never thirst again, so on and so on. And for all these things uh, uh, implying that your salvation is secure, your fate has been sealed, and you cannot lose your salvation. Read it with the open mind that po that is possibly correct, that maybe that is the gospel that Jesus preached. Maybe that is the message John was trying to communicate in his gospel when he said that he's writing this so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name, okay? So that's what I would like people to do, people that disagree with me. Just see if maybe I'm right. If And if you can read the Gospel of John and have it confirmed that you're right, well, then obviously that's the conclusion you're going to come to. I can't, you know, make you change your mind. But I would just ask you to reread it with that, with that idea in mind and knowing the interpretations I've given of these key passages that, you know, maybe that's the right interpretation. Um, for those who want to reach out to me for whatever reason, um, you can reach me at howtobelikejesus at yahoo.com. Okay, that's my email. And so that's basically all I have to say for this episode. And so uh, th thanks, everyone, for listening. And um, come back for the next episode, which is about how your faith in Jesus can help you get through the coronavirus pandemic. And okay, so uh, thanks everyone for listening and God bless.